0: So, why don't we turn to Hebrews chapter 13, and we're charging our way through Hebrews chapter 13. I want to pray. Uh, It is the Lord's communion. It is his, His dinner table that He invites us to partake of. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much. Lord, there is no way that we could commune with You. There's no way we could do Your will were it not for the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what we share and that's what we rejoice in. And Father, we pray that this morning would be a morning of encouragement, of healing, of rebuke, of conviction. Lord, that your word, even as Jeremy was praying this morning, would be an encounter today. We want to encounter you We don't want this to simply be some dry theological lecture. We want to hear the word of God. So, Father, I pray that would you get, would I be out of the way and would you use this text for our good in Jesus' name? Amen. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 4 through 9, what many had just read he said it seems almost unrelated as we look at the text if we were to chop it up by itself marriage is to be held in honor among all and the marriage bed is to be undefiled for fornicators and adulterers God will judge make sure that your character is free from the love of money being content with what you have for he himself has said I will never desert you Desert nor will I forsake you so that we can confidently say the Lord is my helper I will not be afraid what will man do to me remember those who led you who spoke the word of God to you and considering the result of their conduct imitate their faith Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever that should be refreshing in a world that keeps changing amen there's no amen Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Oh, oh, thank you, Lord. Do not be carried away by various or varied strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Not by foods through which those who were so occupied we 're not benefited. We look at this text. there are th- you could really see the three sections here. These are a list of imperatives we saw last time of concrete love verses one to three, and one could actually argue that this is living out your redeemed life in relation to others. How do we live it out in relation to others? Uh, the passage that we're looking at in verses 4 through 9 is how to live this redeemed life in relation to yourself. And the last end of it that we'll take on next communion, next Lord's Day from verses 10 to 14 is living out your redeemed life in relation to God. I mean, this section of God's word is given to you this morning so you would live out your redeemed life in Christ this is not a an imperative I think here's the danger of of what many churches may teach is the danger of teaching imperatives without reminding of the indicatives in other words the danger of teaching commands without reminding us what Christ has done and so sometimes and I think I'm guilty of this when I've use this in counseling I've kind of used the text or brought the text and not really given the full context of what it is but imperatives and commands should never be taken by themselves this is not what Christianity is about it's not a list of do's and don'ts and yet folks may claim that oh Christianity is just a list of do's and don'ts but May we not be guilty, brothers and sisters, of not proclaiming, of not giving Christ, not proclaiming Christ as the source, the motivation, the resource to do these things. See, well, now he's giving, this is the so what, he has uh, he has explained all the way from verses one, excuse me, chapters one all the way to twelve. He ex- has expounded about the glory of Christ, and chapter thirteen answers the question: So how do I live? What's the nitty gritty? What's the brass tacks? What's the bottom line? How, how does my life change? And and. Chapter 1, if you recall, he talked about Christ being the heir of all things, the radiance of the glory of the Father, the exact representation of all that the Father is. He's the one who upholds all things. He's the one who has accomplished and finished purifications for his people, for their sins. Chapter 2 talks about Christ as the one who suffered to bring many sons to glory and the one who is not ashamed to call you brethren. It's amazing that Christ calls us brother and sister. Chapter 3 is the Christ who is the high priest greater than Moses, greater than any prophet. Chapter 4, Christ is the believer's Sabbath Sabbath rest. That our standing before God is not based on our performance. Hallelujah. Amen. That's what we celebrate today. Chapter 5 is Christ is the high priest who is greater than Melchizedek. That is in eternity. His reign as a priest his rule as a priest will be forever and ever. Chapter 6 is Christ as the foundation of growth and the object of our allegiance to not fall away. Chapter 7 is Christ is a forever is forever making intercession for his people and his and he has died once for all for them. Chapter 8 can you just see how he's building his case? Over and over and over and over. The writer of Hebrews is convincing you of his love. So as we come this morning. You know. You could say it theologically with your mouth. I know Christ loves me. I know that God loves me. I know that the Holy Spirit loves me. He has done all things for me. And then you come in here and you're not convinced of his love. Brothers and sisters. Let, this, let the clarion call of God's word stop it out. Chapter, nine, chapter 8 is Christ ushering the new and better covenant. He says, For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. Says the Lord, I will put my law into their hearts. I will write them on their, uh, my laws into their minds. I will write them into their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Chapter 9, Christ is the mediator and the final sacrifice of the new covenant. Chapter 10, Christ is a sufficient sacrifice he is the object of our common confession. This is what we believe together. Which we must hold together as we worship. In, in, uh, as we gather in worship. Chapter 11. Christ is the object of faith for all the Old Testament saints. And chapter 12. He is the object of our race. And the author and perfecter of our faith. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. When we think we can't hang on anymore. amen and so if in fact all this is true about christ and all of his promises which are given to believers by virtue of faith in him then this is how you ought to live we want to make sure of this point imperatives without the power of christ leads to discouragement despair bewilderment and legalism So last week we talked about concrete love that is living the redeemed life in relation to others. Today we will be talking about living the redeemed life in relation to ourselves. So let's get into it. Living the redeemed life in relation to ourselves. To live out your redeemed life, the author hones in on three major areas that you have to defend. You have to defend as a Christian. All of us who claim the name of Christ. Who have said yes I've been saved. I confess his name. He is my savior. You must defend this in your life. Three ma- major areas. The first one is to guard your marriage from defilement. Verse 4. Guard your marriage from defilement. He says marriage is to be held in honor among all. Now. Now. You might be sitting there and saying, you know, I'm not married. Or I'm not married yet. So I don't have to guard nothing. Or I'm divorced. I'm not married. Or I'm a celibate. I'm not married. You know what? You could change this point to fit you. Guard the biblical institution of marriage from defilement. How about that? Guard it. Notice he's speaking to the whole church. Guarding marriage from defilement is a church-wide task. Did you know that, brothers and sisters? marriage is to be held in honor among all you know he is talking about one of the biggest places where families and where churches fall apart there it's in the marriage in our society it's not it's not seen as honorable it's not taught as honorable some don't even get married they just simply shack up simply they say they'll say simply that it's just a piece of paper Or some reject the institution altogether. Or some reject gender roles that being married by definition, they reject that being married by definition is a one man and one woman in a binding commitment before God and the public stating their promise to each other that they will love, care, and be devoted to one another until one of them dies. That's what marriage is. If there is a rejection, you notice this is what's happening, this shift. Oh, please understand. All of these symptoms that are happening in society, they are simply a symptom of their war with God. There's a rejection of genders, the two genders. Or an acceptance of fluid genders. Don't think your kids are not learning it, they're totally learning it. That's what the schools are teaching. Which runs against very creation itself. Then marriage is no longer held in honor. Because if genders can be redefined and be fluid. Then marriage, the idea of marriage can be redefined and fluid. Some don't even, some do get married and still dishonor the idea of marriage. They get married for convenience. Convenience an unwanted pregnancy, or they get married for shared living quarters or for economic reasons. This too dishonors the biblical institute of marriage. Marriage is mocked. It is attacked as old and outdated. But God declares his view on marriage in many ways. It's interesting He's saying if you are a believer in Christ because Christ has done all these things for you defend marriage. One such clear example is the picture of the relationship between Christ and the church. Marriage between man and woman is meant to reflect Christ's love and his devotion to his church. Husbands who honor their honor uh, honor uh, marriage, they honor it by this metaphor when they love their wives sacrificially. Honor Wives honor their relationship when they su- lovingly submit to their husbands. And very clearly Ephesians 5, 22 says, wives be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be For no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church because we are members of his body. God so honors marriage such that he uses marriage as the metaphor to describe the relationship between the love story of Christ and his church. He goes on and he says. The marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers. God will judge. You, you also honor marriage. Thus honoring Christ. When you guard marriage. From defilement and impurity. The marriage bed is to be undefiled. The word their bed. Coite. Is where we get the word coitus. This refers to sexual activity. Within marriage relations. It is to be undefiled. Or the word can be translated untainted he says for fornicators and adulterers god will judge the word there for fornicator is a sexually immoral person typically who is not married it's from the word pornus which is being sexually immoral where we get the word pornography so this includes any sexual sin outside of marriage this is why it is the great task of the church To protect marriage, it is the great task of every believer in Christ. To protect marriage, it's not just married couple talk. It is a single person task. It is a divorced person task who has been redeemed. It is a celibate person's task to honor what God has created and honors marriage itself. You know, the more... As I I was growing up in youth ministry, and then I served in college ministry, and, and I'm still doing it here at RBC, I love our young folks. I am so convinced, I'm so convinced that one of the great temptations for single people to depart from the faith is sexual temptation. Absolutely. They will not wait for God, will not wait for a believer, will not wait for God's timing. They dishonor the marriage bed. A single person who abstains, but on the other side, for Christ's glory, yes, you can, young person, single person, you can honor Christ. Don't believe the world that you cannot do this. The single person who abstains from sex, For the glory of Christ honors the institute of marriage. When they seek for purity for himself or herself, purity for the other person, purity for the sake of God. Every believer must take on the absolute privilege to pursue sexual purity in whatever stage of life they may find themselves. The word adulterer is the sexually immoral person who typically is married. In in summation, yet our culture ranks sex as any other bodily function. Just think about it. They They think of sex as like eating or drinking or sleeping. With the internet, there's countless of men and women who are drawn into pornography and fornication and adultery. Hookups and swiping right and websites catering to adultery are normal. Just think about our society. And our society is reaping its bitter fruit. Unwanted pregnancies which lead to murdering the infant in the womb. Rapes and power plays are clearly protested. And now Hollywood is up in arms as if it never existed with the Me Too movement. Venereal diseases in which society's solution is to inject your preteen daughter with an HPV vaccine. This is where we live brothers and sisters. The wholesale business of sex trafficking. trafficking Family after family destroyed because of sin. Children estranged from their parents. Wives and husbands estranged from each other. The testimony of the church ruined. The testimony of Christ ruined. A whole generation of folks estranged from God. Men, a whole generation of men raised by women with no father in the home. The question is valid, how can a society change in its regard to marriage if the church does not guard the institution of marriage? Let us be the folks, by God's grace, brothers and sisters, to say, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Now, I could speak of all of the ills of society when we do not guard marriage. But on the other hand, a marriage which honors, we have to remember, on the marriage which honors God is one where sex is beautiful, fulfilling, creative. Where, as one commentator says it, outside marriage, it is ugly, destructive, and damning. So live out your redeemed life in Christ. By guarding marriage from defilement. Guard your marriage from defilement. Or if you're single. Guard the institution of marriage from defilement. Wait for that day young person. For his glory. If you have messed up and sinned in this regard. There is grace for you. Let me tell you that. And you can. Your family can be redeemed. You could be redeemed in this. You don't have to live, the, you don't have to live the, uh, the past over and over again with your family. It doesn't have to be that way. There can be a new heritage built in Christ. Second, not only guard your marriage, secondly, guard your heart from covetousness. Guard your heart from covetousness. He says, all these things, he layers upon layers all of the blessings to you, Christian. This morning. And he tells you one guard marriage. Number two guard your heart from covetousness. Another danger that can derail your effort. To live out this redeemed life. Christ has purchased for you. Is covetousness. As you look rather than being joyful. In this redeemed life. And what Christ has given. And and, in the blessings of Christ. What you start to do is you start to look elsewhere. And you say you know what something else. Is going to give me more joy. This is a a terribly incipient and evil enemy. Covetousness doesn't mean you have lots of things. Covetousness doesn't mean you have a few possessions. Covetousness is the overwhelming desire to long for and obtain things, people, possessions, clothes, hairstyles, recognition, bodies, money, etc., etc., etc. I want what that other person has. And that's all I could think about. You know, it's really not related to how much you have. Did you know that? You could have a $15 million house in Del Mar. Or you could have a tent on Oceanside Boulevard and still be covetous. He says this. this is, he says, guard marriage. And it's interesting. He says, make sure that your character is free from the love of money. The love of money. Why does he say the love of money? Because one, because it's one of the prevalent forms of covetousness. And many have fallen. Paul has said this. Many have fallen. Chase the world. Demas has chased the world. Money can purchase all the material items that folks want. You see it all the time. I was on, on social media. This guy on Instagram. He always goes to... All these guys with nice cars and goes, hey, what do you do for a living? What do you do for a living? That's a nice Maserati. What do you do for a living? And what it's supposed to do is it's supposed to stoke the covetousness in your own heart that says, why can't I be like this guy who lives in Dubai driving a Lamborghini? Why can't I be like him? What am I not doing right? What am I not? Why am I not? uh, I must be doing something wrong. When God is just simply telling you to be content with where you're at. Now he says here. A believer in Christ. Who is living out his or her redeemed life. Is not to be enslaved by material things or money. There are two sinful attitudes that really underlie. That really drive covetousness. There's two sinful attitudes. And by the way, brothers and sisters, when you are looking back into your life and trying to fight your fight with sin, when you have a sinful attitude, it is always based on a wrong theological view or a wrong theological mindset that you have adopted, okay? That's just not true. And the two... Sinful attitudes, the two wrong theological mindsets that gets adopted when you have covetousness. The first one is discontentedness, being discontent. Notice he says, make sure your your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. The word there content means to, to be satisfied, to be sufficient. With what the Lord gives you. I'm happy with what the Lord gives me. He's been gracious to me. A man who is satisfied. A woman who is satisfied. A young person who is satisfied in Christ. There is nothing that can be taken away from them. They've seen the joy of Christ. They've seen how sweet he is. Now, it's not wrong to have money. But it is wrong to be overwhelmed and dissatisfied with the position that God has you. But the real root of it, brothers and sisters, the real root of being discontent is being dissatisfied with God himself. I don't think he's enough. I don't think it's... He's... he's I don't think, I want more than what God can give me right now. The hard issue is that you're not completely satisfied in Christ alone. You've not set your mind on him. And you have fallen for the lie that the things of the earth can satisfy. And so many in the Bible, so many examples are there. Achan's love of money, hiding some of the forbidden treasures for himself, brought destruction for he and his family. Judas Because he loved the world, because he loved money, traded the Lord of glory for 30 shekels. Ananias and Sapphira lying to the Holy Spirit, Peter, in the early church of withholding the price to appear more sacrificial when it was theirs to keep all along. They coveted reputation. All of this is saying that what you've given me, Christ, you're not good enough. You're not being good enough to me. You're being good to other people. You're not being good to me. Brothers and sisters, that's demonic. When from chapters 1 to 12, he is layered blessing upon blessing upon blessing for you. That's a lie. Guarding your heart from covetousness means to slay your wrong thinking that Christ is not enough to satisfy. Second, guarding your heart from covetousness means to slay your wrong thinking that Christ cannot be trusted. Notice he says this, for he attaches it he attaches it to the previous verse. Notice he says there in Hebrews chapter 13. He, goes, he says, for he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? See, what's happening is this. I, you know I, used to, I confess, I used to use this verse in the wrong way. I, I wanted to tell people and encourage people. I would take them here. You know, God's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. I would kind of mumble the first part. Uh, let your f- character be free from the love of money. I will never depart from you. I will never forsake you. That's how I used to, I used to share this verse. And now I'm starting to see what it means. I see what it means now. Because when we're covetous and we're dissatisfied with what God has given me and we distrust what that Christ is actually going to provide for me, I think he's not going to come through. I start to doubt that he's going to come through for me. That he's going to provide for me. That he loves me. God, do you love me? Do you see what I'm going through? Do you see my family? And I start to distrust him. And so what The writer of Hebrews says is No. Your Christ is not like that. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. You don't have to run after money. He's going to provide for you. And then he layers it. With. Now it makes sense. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Oh Christian, if you are suffering and you're feeling like I I'm I'm starting to doubt whether or not Christ is gonna provide for me, let me remind you, He has given all these things for you. Would he not give you what does it say? All things. You covet for money because in that you think you will find security. But Christ reminds you he will never desert you nor forsake you. He is teaching you he is your security. See covetousness is doubting Christ will provide all you need. It is the sinful reaction of a man, of a woman not satisfied with Christ and not trusting in Christ. Christ says he is true satisfaction, he is true faithfulness. If you're struggling with this sin, remember and dwell on the fact, he's on your side brothers and sisters. He is your satisfaction, he can be trusted, he has made a covenant with you, saint. He has drawn it out from eternity, he has executed it on the cross. He you are the beneficiary and he well you don't want to know what the ink is? It's his own blood. How can he tell you anymore that he loves you and he will care for you? How? Thirdly, guard your mind from wandering. Guard your mind from wandering. He says, remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you and considering the result of their conduct imitate their faith. These are the ones who show real life fruit. Now in the background, these were Jews who heard the gospel, who got saved and were encouraged and some of them started to fall back into Judaic legalism. They were set free and then they started Folks started to tell them, wrong teachers started to tell them, you know, you need to come back. You have to do all these things to be right with God. And the writer of Hebrews tells them, you need to hold to believing, to confessing and living this gospel. You know, I was just I, I uh, yesterday my my friend uh, who went home to be with the Lord, his name is Norm De Guzman. I was watching his memorial. It was They were having it in Oahu and they were live streaming it. And um, Dan, who has been here many times, Arsilla, he's a youth pastor at CBC. He did this amazing clip. It was so rough and done real quickly, but it was an amazing clip. And he was showing how Norm de Guzman shared the gospel with him. And how because Dan got saved and he discipled him, because Dan got saved, he was able to impact all these other students, hundreds of students, literally. And he, he, he showed the houses back in Vallejo, right in Rancho. He showed the houses where the Bible studies started. And I just wept and wept and wept and wept and wept. I wept because I would have my friend, but I wept because the gospel continues on. Remember those who led you. Don't shift, brothers and sisters. Imitate their faith. What is, he says, the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Who are you to follow? The ones With real life fruit. I always ask, show me the life. There used to be a saying in the nineties we used to always say, Show me the money. That's where we were talking about where where's the validity of what you're saying? Show me the money. That was in a movie. In Christianity we say, Show me the life. Show me the life that has impacted others who still obeys Christ, who still believes the gospel, who still holds to the truths who still love Jesus, who still can testify of his goodness, who still can testify of his kindness to me, who still can testify that he has never left me, he has never forsaken me, no matter what has happened. Show me the faith. Show me that life. And so the writer of Hebrews is simply saying the same thing he said in Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 14, remember he says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, he says, let us, all of us, hold the same confession. Brothers and sisters, we're not going to move from the gospel. We're not going to shift. We're not going to let anyone change the gospel. We're going to be discerning and be able to cut through all of the lies and and to Praise that which is true and good and noble. He's saying the same thing he said in Hebrews 10. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promises faithful. It's the same sentiment in 2 Timothy 1, 13 and 14 when Paul he gives his last letter to Timothy and he says, retain the standard of sound words. Hold on to sound doctrine, brothers and sisters which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us this treasure, this deposit, which has been entrusted to you. Guard your mind from wandering. And in he says, as this amazing statement That everything may change. But he says, Jesus Christ is what? The same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, how is that related? I think sometimes we just go to that verse. See, he's immutable. And then we go to another verse. Here's what he's saying. When preachers come and go, when ministries come and go, when friends come and go, Jesus, yes, Jesus, remains the same. When you feel, we used to say this, When you feel distant from God, He didn't move. You did. That's what we used to say as younger Christians. When folks walk away from God, He didn't move. You understand? We did. Oh, brothers and sisters, if you are so discouraged, of those who have walked away, let me tell you there is a Christ who is not moving. Who will never leave you nor forsake you. You understand? And the story's not over yet. Do you understand? Your Christ is still kind and caring and still desires to save people more than you. Yes, more than you. The same Christ who saved you. The same Christ who taught you that you were created for God's glory. That convicted you of your own sin. That reminded you you needed a savior. The same Christ that brought you to faith. Is the same Christ that moves today. He is the same yesterday, today and forever. And then he moves on. And he says. Do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings. Why? He's telling us to be steadfast. And that's why we need to understand and hold on to this fact. Jesus is the same. He's not changing. You see so many fads. If you have any kind of season, being a seasoned Christian at all, if you watch the history of the church, you see so many fads come and go. So many different teachings come and go. Nothing stays except the gospel of Christ, let me tell you. Where is the prayer of Jabez? Where is that? Where is the 40 days of purpose? Where is that? Where is the, where is the, uh, um, uh, where's these promise books and this that and doing where, where are all those teachings they were the hottest thing where is the, the shack where is that where's Harold camping and him uh, setting the date of Christ's return where is that oh Christians we're so deceived aren't we it may not even be blatant uh, blatant across, uh, against the, the gospel of Christ. It's just a, a, a de-emphasis on what the Bible emphasizes. You could be misled or carried. Here's, here's, um, here's what um, I see in the churches in our area. Uh, Christ is here to help you accomplish your passions. That's what's being taught. It's just very slight. He's here to accomplish your passions. Or here's another one. The church is not important. Christ is. That's, that's very incipient. You think I'm making this up. I am not. You just talk to your kids. Talk to your young folks. Talk to your college students. There's actually folks who believe, no, I am carrying out the great commission. I'm following Christ, but I don't go to church. When Christ says he, what, loves the church, gave himself up for church. Or how about this? Christ only wants health and wealth for you. There, that's another one. Another one is like, oh, Christ... Christ is going to, you don't have to do any effort in sanctification. You don't, have to, you don't have to strive for holiness. You don't have to mortify sin. Christ is going to do it all. So, you know, if you're not holy, that's okay. You can just kind of stay that way. That's another one. It's an overemphasis of sanctification without the responsibility of what you're supposed to do. Paul says in Galatians chapter 1 verse 6 to 9 and you notice you can't do this verse if you don't have discernment you don't know what's right or wrong you can't sift it everything's good oh you say you're a Christian everything's good you know what they could be leading you to to the wrong end Galatians one six through nine says, "I'm amazed." Paul says, "I'm amazed." Why don't you go there? Look at this, Galatians. This really gets at the uh, the root of it. Galatians one six through nine. He says. He talks to the Galatians. He says, I'm amazed that you're so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. You notice, you are, you heard the gospel, you were saved by the gospel, and now you are diverting your attention to a slightly different emphasis of a gospel. Here in the book of Galatians, it was now that you are a Christian, you have to do all these Jewish um, Rituals like circumcision and all these other Jewish rituals in order for you to be a really good, holy Christian. And Paul says, I can't believe that you're falling for it. I can't believe you don't have discernment. I can't believe you're so naive that you wouldn't understand what the scriptures say. I'm so amazed that you're so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. It doesn't have the power. It it cannot save. It cannot change. It's really not another gospel. You think it has merit. You think it's good. You think it's what we should do in the local church, but it's wrong. In fact, you know what's crazy is even if you say... That there is such a thing as bad doctrine and good doctrine in our in the circles here, in the mega churches here, in the bigger churches here. They think you're divisive. They think discernment is division. That's already. That's how they think. And he says, but Paul, he says if you don't discern, your souls are at stake. Your maturity is at stake. Your growth and the Propagation of the gospel is at stake if you can't discern, he says here. Which is really not another, only there are those who disturbing you want to distort the gospel of Christ. Now Paul says, even if we or an angel from heaven. He's not saying angels do preach the gospel, he's just using hyperbole. Even if someone with with renown and with power and can display some kind of supernatural power... Should come and preach another gospel to what you have preached. He is to be accursed. It's wrong. It's false. It's anathema. Brothers and sisters. Part of your growth in Christ is to be able to discern right doctrine from bad doctrine. And he noticed back in Hebrews. And what is he talking about specifically? He says back in verse 9 for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace not by foods to which those who are so occupied occupied were not benefited and what is he saying he's going back to the argument that folks who are being legalistic are putting all of these things on other people if you're a christian you really should be eating this way Eating these kind of foods? How dare you eat those dirty, those filthy, unclean foods? Rather than it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. And what what is he? What is he doing? He's juxtapositioning the gospel of grace to the slavery of legalism, and he's telling the Hebrews. How how is it that you got saved and you know the gospel and now you're going backwards? You're not going forward, you're going backwards. And the reason why you're going backwards is because you're weak. And the reason why you're weak is because you're not being strengthened by grace. You're not reminding yourself of the merits of Christ. You're not reminding yourself of the worth of Christ. You're not reminding yourself of all the promises you've received in Christ. And now you're being carried away. And so when someone teaches these false doctrines, you go, I, well, 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 it sounds good. I'm not sure, but it sounds good. They're using verses. So does the devil, brothers and sisters. So does the devil. You think the church doesn't fall for it. Have you ever heard of the Daniel diet? The Ezekiel diet? The Noahic diet? Oh, yes. We fall for it. Why? Because we veer from just simply being satisfied and trusting in who Christ is. So this this morning, I want to encourage you. Christ himself is your high priest who died once for all and he has layered upon layer upon layer you know sometimes man sometimes we go out for cake I must confess I like them layers upon layers upon layers upon layers of cake right man this is a blessing but then that's oh. That's another blessing on there. You got so much blessings on there, right? Brothers and sisters, you got layer upon layer upon layer upon layer of blessing upon your life. Why would you veer? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for this morning and we thank you for the, this communion that we get to share in your goodness and your greatness. We pray, Father, you would help us just to remember, Lord, let it be as it, as it were to let the world stop in our minds. That we would just focus and rest in our true Sabbath rest, that is Christ. Help us to be strengthened by grace, not by the dictates of man. And we pray, Father, that you will be glorified. Feed your sheep. In Jesus' name, amen.